Wow. What a wonderful joy to be with you. I enjoy um, being at Church in Indian Lake, and I was telling uh, Pastor Aaron this past week what I think about the church, uh, because now I've been here in two, three times, um, and knowing your leadership team, which I knew some, I knew Pastor Aaron and Pastor Deborah both, and I'm always impressed with them, the quality of leadership you have. But then I realized as I've been talking to other leaders in the church that uh, that quality goes all the way through. There's a great foundation here. It's a good church. And mostly importantly is when you, in the worship service, there's, that, there's a sense that we're entering into the presence of God. And I, I enjoy coming. I'm always ministered to by being here. And so thank you. A uh, complicated uh, season for me in the last couple of months. Uh, I've been retiring uh, from our church. I've been doing that for over a year. And then uh, so uh, two weeks ago it was official. And, and they gave us a wonderful send-off and very kind. Uh, but uh, some other things were complicating it. One, my mother had gotten very ill, and she passed away in these last few weeks. Uh, and all the things dealing with that and caring for my family and all. And also, uh, during this time, um, I was taking care of another church whose pastor's on sabbatical, St. Mary's uh, Anglican Church that's uh, in Brentwood. Uh, and um, so I had told the pastor well over a year ago, well, of course I can take care of the church. Christ Church will be through its stuff by that time. I'll be free. Be glad to help you out. I'll be there. Count on me. And then, you know, I didn't know, of course, my mother would get ill. Didn't know that the church would still be in transition. And so pastor went on sabbatical, and I've been trying to help them. And I'm, I'm afraid uh, that uh, I haven't done as good a job with them as I would have liked for sure. But they're good folks, too, and they're doing a good job. But anyway, last week, one of the things that suffer when you're in an intense time like this is the kind of quality sermon preparation you want to do. Uh, and that's something I've always given attention to, to try to really care about. And some of that took a back seat. In Anglican churches, we, we work on the lectionary. So uh, that means every Sunday there's um, prearranged uh, scriptures that are read. Four passages are, are offered, a psalm, an Old Testament reading, New Testament reading, and a gospel reading. And so the pastor is supposed to look at these passages and say, what are they saying together? So I, I did that, but something else caught my attention, and that was when I realized that they were going to uh, open the service with an old Appalachian hymn called, I Will Arise and Go to Jesus, which I knew but I thought had died many decades ago, as songs often do. But this one is so good, it resurrects every once in a while, and I was so glad. So I began to look at these passages and then to this song, and I realized that I wanted to speak on that, and I wanted to speak on that here as well, which I communicated uh, a couple of weeks ago. Let me read to you the passage that we read last week from Second Kings chapter 5. Uh, and I'll read it in the version up here. Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Your older translations say leprosy. 
Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of this skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore, the king of Aram said, go and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. He went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel. And here's the letter. It read this. When the letter comes to you, when this letter comes to you, note, I have sent to you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes. This was custom in Israel. It's like when something's beyond you and you don't know what to do, you just tear your clothes. Now, you know, people tear their clothes on stage for no reason at all. But uh, then it was because they were overwhelmed. Maybe it is today too. I don't know. So anyway, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God killing and giving life to this man who expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Recognize. Look at this. He's only picking a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? This is something we could also say to our stars on stage. Why have you torn your clothes? Have you come to me? Have him come to me and you will know there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger who said, go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you'll be clean. So Naaman got angry and he left and saying, I was telling myself he will surely come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? And he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, Wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times according to the command of the man of God and then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy and he was clean. So, the hymn. Now I heard this as a kid and I love the hymn and so I'm going to sing it to you and then I exegete the hymn. So you got to listen to the hymn as well as the scripture reading. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. So I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. 
in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. So come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Oh, what a powerful melody, but the words leap out of the melody, grip a hold of the soul. It's the journey of every person who has come to Jesus. Why do we come to Jesus? We come to Jesus when the illusions of the, like of our self-intoxication fall away. Happens to different ones of us at different times. Because in the course of your life, if God gives you long life, you will notice that the, all the people who are today star and light up the stage, whether in the church or in the world or anywhere, in the bank or on, on the, uh, in the entertainment, almost none of them will endure very long. The season comes and goes. The political figures change. The mighty people of the earth come and go. Why? Because all of them have leprosy. All of us have leprosy. But we hide it from ourselves. Now, I can't talk about the ladies, but I can talk about guys. There comes a time when most of us, unfortunately, it doesn't happen to every man, but it happens to most men, usually about middle age, that something terrible occurs to us. We've been looking in the mirror from the earliest age, and what we see in the mirror is an utterly captivating image that bewilders and perplexes and amazes everybody. A handsome man that just is made, tailor-made for the world, nothing's ever been like this before. And you're going to go out and conquer. Everyone sees what you're seeing in the mirror, you think. And you don't know that a cruel demon is, is manipulating this image. What you are seeing is not there. It is coming out of your head and it's going on to the mirror and it's bouncing back to your eyeballs. But a cruel demon is manipulating this and you are not seeing what's really there. And this is why that other people are not getting it. You walk in the room and they're not getting it. Time and time again in the workplace, the women you're trying to impress, it's not working because they have faulty vision and faulty perception. And over and over again, you encounter this strange phenomena that the people in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your church just don't get it. And it, you're amazed by this, but your, your confidence itself is not shaken. You know, because you see. And then somewhere, usually for most of us about middle age, it's, we get into this uh, really crisis because the cruel demon takes the image away. And we look in there like, what happened? Uh, it's the worst day of your life. 
And, and it can come about for all kinds of reasons. You can lose a job. You can lose all your money. A partner can leave you. Uh, you can get a sickness. Because really, we all have this sickness. And we don't need Jesus or anyone else. Really. For a long time. And then there comes that moment of truth to where the illusion falls away because the Lord overcomes that cruel demon and says, let's see what's really there. And then in loathing, you turn away and you go from being the star of your show to like not knowing if you want to live or you, how can I live this way being in this flawed position. Now, what happens in this time is what's really going on is but you don't seem to recognize this. This is everybody's condition. You've never been that special. But no one else has been either. Even this mighty general, he has a condition. But everybody has a condition. And it's at that moment, if we are fortunate enough to hear the message of the gospel, we say, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. Anybody here that's ever found that to be true in your life? That again and again, when you've been disgusted with self or you've hit some wall and you turn around and you say, here's what I've got. The, the old hymn, Rock of Ages says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And it's really what seems to be the worst day of your life is really the best day of your life. Naaman, heard that there was help and he turns from his disease. He's already been confronted. I'm not all of that. I'm going to die. I've got a terrible disease. If people knew this, they would all turn from me, run from me. But there's help. And so he turns, first he turns from the self-image, then he turns from the self-loathing and he finds the Lord by going to Israel. Now, when he goes to Israel, and, and this is true of all of us. We come to Jesus by hearing and believing the gospel. But we also come to Jesus when we enter into his family. He goes to Israel. God hangs out in Israel. He hangs out with the Hebrew people. And it's not because they're the best people in the world. It's not because they're all holy all the time. The king of Israel doesn't have a clue. We've heard that you're holy people. Will you help me? Will you help? Oh, you're trying, you're trying to trick me. You're trying, you're trying to invade my country. But, what, am I God? Oh, and he tears his clothes. Instead of saying, well, God has, the spirit of God has moved upon someone in a far country to come to our country because they want to meet the God of Israel. He's like, he, no, he's overcome. They're, they're up to something. They're up to no good. They're coming. Why are they here? Why are they in the church? What's that person that's dressed so weird in our church? What are they doing? They're up to something. What are that person that's, why, why are they here? And so Naaman finds right away this suspicion. He has just found a good witness, namely this slave girl. And I want to talk about this slave girl because she was captured in a raid. She's nobody special. When you hear the message of God, not just the first time, but many times through life, when you hear a message from God, it's not always the people that you expect to hear the message through. can be. But many times it's not. 
I had a person like this in my life, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, my, my wife had a brain aneurysm in 2004. She was working the Salvation Army, and she was a counselor. That's my uh, secular profession as well. Uh, and so both of us were psychology students and, and uh, worked work part-time in a clinic. She did too, and she worked with Salvation Army. Uh, and then she collapsed on the floor, had a brain aneurysm. She entered in a coma. She'd be in a coma for 10 days, and the doctors told me she probably wouldn't live. So, on, that, on the day, actually it was our wedding anniversary, uh, I went in at 5 o'clock in the morning to the intensive care unit uh, to look at the lifeless uh, body of my wife, who was that day, they said, about to breathe her last. Uh, and as I was walking in, there was a Hispanic woman uh, that was uh, pushing a cart full of brooms and mops, was in Phoenix, uh, and, uh, and she was a cleaning lady. And uh, I was partially raised in Latin America, so I greeted her just courtesy in Spanish. I told her, good morning, how are you this morning, that kind of thing. So I'm walking into the, into the intensive care through the doors. I can picture it right now in my mind. And she said, wait, come back here. So I went back, and she said, why are you sad today? And I said, well, my wife is dying. And she said, no, she's not. Just like that. No, she's not. I looked at her tag. It said Genevieve. She was smiling. And I said, well, what makes you think in that? And she flipped over the badge and there was a little icon of Christ there. She said, because, she said, I work here in the job that I have, but I really, I pray as I walk through the halls, and I usually know who's dying and who's not, and your wife's not one of them that is dying. She's going to live. She's going to recover. Now, she didn't have the x-rays and the lab reports. I was, my wife was getting excellent care, but they had all said, this is not likely to turn out well. In fact, they'd asked me to, to think about organ donation that day and all those things. But Genevieve had the word of God in her mouth. And so later in the day, a couple hours later, when my daughter came in, uh, to the hospital, she was distraught, and she broke down, was crying, and I said, here, let, let, let's, let's go find Genevieve. She said, who's Genevieve? I said, well, it's, it's a lady who talked to me this morning, so, of course, our family, we, we have a lot of strong-willed Hispanic women around our family, so she was cleaning the toilet, and she had the door propped open with her cart, so I said, Genevieve, you have a minute? She said, sure. I said, my daughter needs uh, tending to here and so my daughter collapses on her shoulder and she's crying and so she says she says now your mom's not going to die you got to go home and you got to get your house ready for your mom to come home and you're going to have to help her because she won't be able to do this for a while and so you've got work to do young lady you need to go home and get stuff ready uh, and 
my daughter and I looked at the other and I was like, well, okay. So it's, we're not going to have organ donation today. We're not going to do all that because Genevieve says mom's going home. A lady we did not know 24 hours before. And I know, you know, a lot of times people that have a word from God for you, they don't know. They may be well-meaning. They may want to pick your pocket sometimes. You know, it's like, the Lord has told me. And you're just like, put your hand over your wallet. Uh, that's, that's all I can say. Put your hand over your wallet and hold on really tight uh, when that starts happening. Uh, but not all the time. And it's okay to be suspicious. God did, is not angry at us. The people get angry at us. But the people get angry at us, don't have a word from God. They're trying to pick our pocket uh, or something else. But the people who really care about giving the word of God, they want that discerned and they are ready for us to, with some degree of suspicion, but also openness, somewhere between gullibility and suspicion, uh, to listen. But we knew something that, what, why did we know? Because we, we just knew we could hear. That's what happened to Naaman. He heard the voice of the Lord in the mouth of the servant woman. So he headed out to the land where God's people dwell. And then what did he meet? Rascals. He met rascals. The king is incompetent and doesn't really have spiritual life, but he is the king. And then the prophet has to say, oh, it's okay. I'll take care of it from here. And so the prophet is a good man. And so Naaman says, I'm going to give you all this stuff. You see all this stuff? I've got all this, all, all of these suits. I've got all this gold and silver. I'm going to give it to you. And he says, no, that, don't worry about that. You just go and dip in the river Jordan and you'll be okay. But the prophet's assistant's like, hot donor, hot donor. We're going to get some, uh, we're going to get some money out of this. Wow, this guy's going to have a spiritual breakthrough, and he's got money. It's going to fund our church for decades. You'll meet all these people in the kingdom of God. You just will, and sometimes you'll be disillusioned. But you know, there's healing in God's house and God's family. I have 54 first cousins on one side. It's an Appalachian family. My grandpa and grandma had 14 kids. And they, uh, my grandparents begat and their children begat. And yea, they verily filled the earth. And so in southern West Virginia, as we say, West Virginia, a million people and 15 surnames, you know. Uh, so um, uh, my family's large, extended, and uh, we have a kind of a clan system of family that's spelt with a C, by the way. And I don't get along with all my family members. I mean, some of them I don't really connect to very well. I, I don't understand them. They don't understand me. We, we have different opinions about stuff, about religion, about politics, about all kind of stuff. But you know what I discover in times of crisis, which I've just come through, my family's there for me. Even the ones that are, you know, I'm a little iffy with, they all come around helping, caring for me, caring for my brothers and my sisters and my father. They're my family and I love them. And the family of God's this way too. The person 
sitting across the aisle from you, you may agree with, you may not. You may not quite get them. You may not quite understand, why do they do that? Why do they dress that way? Why do they do that? We, we've got all that going on with the family of God too. And that's why we, we often leave churches so we can go find a good church. Because this one obviously has all kind of flaws. So I'm going to leave it and go to a good. And finally, if you keep on that journey, you go to church after church after church, you end up in your living room with three people, one of them whom you're suspicious of. Why? Because we all got this same thing like Naaman. But Naaman, when we're in this place of neediness, we don't notice all of that. But later on when we're getting better, paradoxically, we begin to wonder, what's that Gehazi doing? The prophet's assistant and didn't the prophet have enough sense not to have him around? And the king, are you kidding me? This is the king? He's got this degree of spiritual life? I got to get out of here and get to a real spiritual place. We do that to ourselves all the time. But when we finally rest, we really want to come to Jesus. We have to join the family of Jesus. And we have to really join it and say, okay, like we do with our spouse, for better, for worse, for sickness and health, richer, poor, this is the family of God. This is the place that God has called me to be. Well, here's the final thing. We, enter, we, we come to Jesus by entering into practice. And practice is simply just keeping on, keeping on. You come to Jesus down or they'll throw you out of the church. Uh, and, uh, and so you know, that's why a lot of older people don't stick around. It's like, oh, 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 so they don't. Uh, they don't so, and, and, uh, and the others will say they got cold in their faith. No, they got arthritis in their knees. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, um, uh, but, but that joy, that's why many times younger people and new converts, they like, why aren't you all, all because, uh, they are feeling that and they should feel that. And we do feel that periodically throughout our life, but we hit stretches to where we're not sure about our spiritual life. We have questions in our spiritual life. We have trauma going on in our life. We, and, and, and so what sustains us during this time? Do we just leave? No, we practice because what the Lord wants you to do, he tells you, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now he says his yoke is easy, but there is a yoke. And what is his yoke? It's you're leaving behind this slavery, the practices of slavery in your old life. And you're taking on new practices in your life. In just a moment here, we're going to come to the Lord's table. What happens in the Lord's table? Well, you know, people have different explanations. Depending on what church you go to, they explain it. They do it differently. And we tend to think, well, they do it wrong over there. But we do it right over here. We, we've got all that going on. But the fact is, none of us really know. A few years ago, a lady called me and said, why do you let the children take communion? You shouldn't do that. I said, why not? Because they don't understand. I said, do you? <laughs> I mean, I don't. Sometimes the Lord didn't say take and understand. He said take and eat. It's that simple. It's just a practice. Have you figured out why you've got to go into the waters of baptism, you know? And all, have you figured that out? There's all kind of explanation. We can explain it theologically. But in the end, you just got to get in the water and get wet. And when you come to the Lord's table, there will be maybe hundreds of times that you receive from the Lord's table and it's like a man in our church says, I can believe it's the body of Christ. I just can't believe that's bread. <laughs> um, 
there are many times when we make those jokes and we stand in the lines or we receive in the aisles, whatever, and it's like, okay, we're doing this. I'm trying to feel holy, but it just seems like I don't know what it's about or whatever. And then there comes that moment of realization sometime in your life to where suddenly you're like, he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And, and you take that in and you realize the life of Christ has become a part of your very being. Your physical being. It's the physical act of eating. The most simple thing we do day after day and we are feasting on God and it, and it teaches us to feast on the word and feast on a fellowship of, of God's people. But this little bread and this little piece of, this little bit of wine tells us that and we take in from the cup and we realize that our sins have been forgiven by the shedding of the blood of Christ. Each morning when you get up, there ought to be very quickly before you go about your duties, a time when you talk to the Lord. Now, if you'd listen to some people, it's real legalistic. It means you've got to spend an hour weeping and wailing and banging on something or, you know, go through your quiet time that takes forever and you've got to journal and all. Forget about all of that. You and the Lord have to find out the best way that works for you. And, but everybody's got five minutes. Even if you're rushed to work, get up another five minutes early so that you can read a psalm a portion of a psalm, some scripture, and your prayer might be, Lord, I'm not getting much out of this, but help me today on my, on my journey of life. Or, Lord, I don't know what to say. I've still got some junk going on in my life. You know I'm not living like I ought to, but I do love you, and I, I do hope to be cleansed of this like Naaman. We're coming to the Lord. Uh, because Naaman, Naaman, Naaman didn't get it. It's like, why should I have to go in there? Are you kidding me? This is a muddy stream. We've got nice rivers in our backyard, and I've come all this way. I wanted the prophet to say, yay, surely I'm going to wave my hand over this place where you're afflicted, and you're going to feel this strong vibration and a heat that's going to go through you. And You know, we love all that stuff. And mostly that's just circus. It, God may work through it, you know, but it's really, none of that's really this real thing. The real thing is just the wounded person meeting the Lord. And sometimes the Lord gives his servants something of a practice. You know, if you, I think if you would go down to Jordan and you, you dip seven times, it's like... It, it, there was nothing in the Jordan. What was there about? What, what the Lord was after was healing this man like, well, I don't, I'm a boss. I tell people what they do. I don't get told to go st stick my body in a, in a muddy stream. It's not working. And finally, it's his servants notice the people without power to like, well, if he'd asked you to do something complicated that was way over our heads, you would have done it. But he's asked you to do something simple. Maybe that's the point. Maybe, maybe the simplicity of it is just to get past all this elevated stuff in your head. And he went down seven times and received his healing. You may have an issue today. You may think that you're not where, with the Lord where you should be. There may be a family problem or all kind of stuff. It may be that just standing in line with the people of God and receiving the bread and receiving the wine. It might be in that journey to or from the table 
where suddenly you know what to do because the Lord has gotten past all the machinations going on in your head and makes you realize you can't get any holier or any smarter to figure this out. You just need to come to Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for this bread and this wine which you have created and human hands have prepared and is for us the body and the blood of Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, as now we enter into this final segment of worship and thanksgiving and as we receive the bread and the wine and as we walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ, you will help us remember that we have come to you and you have received us. We have come into your family and your family receives us. And we've come to you receiving the practices of our faith. And to the best of our ability, as you give us the strength, we are entering into those practices. And gradually, you are making us new. Amen.